Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful Leadership is Changing podcast episode. My name is Dennis Giannoutsos, and I'm your host of this podcast. Great to have you here with us again. Now, I had the opportunity to interview a gentleman by the name of Ron Macklin, and uh, Ron is the president of Macklin Connection, an organization that helps a lot of teams and so forth in training. And Ron really realized early in his engineering career that he had a passion for building and leading teams, and he's continued to to do that. Now, the thing here is that we talked about various aspects, and one of them was about stepping into your fear. The other one was no one wants to lead, and everyone is afraid, and there's actually quite a good discussion around that. And then the other one was a great question. So what does it mean to lead people? Very good question. So had a great conversation with Ron. So sit back and enjoy the interview. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful episode of the Leadership is Changing podcast. Great to have you here with us. And I have a great guest with me today. His name is Ron Macklin. Ron, a massive welcome to you. Thank you. Glad to be here, Excellent. Dennis. Now, where else in the world are you? I'm currently in Overland Park, which is a suburb of Kansas City, Kansas. Cool. And are you originally from, from that city? Actually not. I was born and raised in Wichita, Kansas, so I'm a Kansas native, and that was like on the west side of the town, but I kind of lived on the edge of the city and out in the country. And then I've moved all around the United States and all around Europe throughout my life. And Europe as well. What was your favorite place in Europe? Oh, Italy. (laughs) You know, you're saying talking to a guy from Greece, right? So that's all good. (laughs) Well, Greece is great. No doubt there. I love Greece. But Italy feels like home. Yeah, Italy is very nice, yeah. And do you actually have origins from Italy? Actually, no. More from France, Germany, and England. Yeah, wow. That's kind of where my background comes Excellent. from. Hey, I've given the listeners a little bit of an introduction to you, but we'd love to hear more about your background. So tell us more. Well, as you already started with, I grew up in Wichita, Kansas. My first real career was I was a football player for United States as American football. Mm. And that's how I paid for my education. So for my first 12-year career was playing football. And I was an offensive lineman. So it's a very physical, very brutal sport. And then in the process of doing that, I became an engineer and realized I didn't really like engineering. I don't like designing and math and all that. What I found was is I love to lead people. I love to be a part of that. And that's what I really loved. As I went into engineering fields and became First, like a shift lead, then a project lead, then a region lead, then a country lead, and all the way up through those different ranks. I really loved, fell in love with what does it mean to lead a group of people. In the process of doing so, I married my childhood sweetheart. We have three kids, and we're currently living in Overland Park, Kansas. Excellent. And what actually got you into those leadership roles? It started back in the days of football, and it really came down to I really did not like to lose. And the team that I was on was losing. And I had to figure out how I hate to lose. I wasn't alone in that endeavor, but we really didn't know what to do. And I started to step into the leadership roles on the field. I started to lead the team so that we could win games. And it wasn't like I said, gosh, I just really want to be a leader. I'm going like, no, I just don't want to lose anymore. And when I moved from being on the sports, like a, an athlete, 
a competitive athlete on a team to the real world, I found that it was the same thing. Nobody wanted to lead. And I was going like, okay, I'll do it. I'll take on that. And as I kept doing it over and over, I kept developing new spaces. And I really fell in love with the idea of enabling somebody to do something greater than they can do on their own. And isn't it and not doing it for yeah. them? Yeah. And isn't it interesting yeah. to see how people don't put their hand up to lead? They want someone else to do it. And I don't know what holds them back. What, what do you reckon it is, Ron, that holds people back and actually wanting to step up and lead? Well, first, everybody's afraid. I mean, we all have our fears. And when you really want something to go well, right, you're afraid that you will not only if you take the leadership role, you'll mess it up for yourself, you mess it up for other people. So you go, I'll let somebody else do that. Right. And I've been through and talked and coached to a lot of different powerful people. Most everyone I've asked the question to, they always have the same question. If you could find somebody you could follow that would make your life work out, would you do it? And every one of them says, yes. I go, but you're a full-time leader. I go, yeah, because I can't find that person. Nice. So we're all kind of afraid to step in and lead. And that's normal. That's what it means to be a human, right? Yeah, that fear. But yet there is a skill, there's an art, there's a space for that, for being a leader that we all crave. Mm. And Ron, I think you've got a book out there. Is it Everyone Is Afraid? That's correct. Yeah. Everyone is afraid. Yeah. And what, what sort of brought you to to write that book? Was that exactly what you just shared or was, was there something else that sort of drove you to write that book? So the, well, the way I coach and the way I lead and I've led teams to world records and doubling profitability and people going like, I know how to work with you, but I don't know how to tell anybody else about this story. Like I, I don't have the words to share it with somebody else. Could you write a book? And that kept coming around for about four or five years of people kept asking for something. And I mean, let's go back to my college, right? I became an engineer because I hated English. I, I hated to write. I didn't like to do write. And the thought of writing a book just kind of freaked me out. And finally, I, I resolved. I said, I need to step into my fears and go create a book. And so I wrote the book, Everyone is Afraid, which really gives people a, an ability to notice that being afraid is normal and we're all doing it. And the only way to deal with it is to talk about your fears. And as you said, step into that fear, right? And and I think that the other yeah. thing that comes up for me, Ron, is that people say to me, they don't like networking. It's like they don't want to go to events. That it's almost like they're afraid to do that as well. And I go, well, I think actually what you find is that everyone's afraid in that networking. They, they're all sort of like sort of thinking about things. But, you know, if we all, someone's got to start and someone's got to say hi and just get the conversation going. So yeah, really good points you're making there. And I'm, I'm really glad you wrote that book. That sounds like an awesome title, but a title that everyone can relate to. Thanks. One of the noticings is most people go to a networking event because they go in with their shields up to protect themselves and everybody else does the same. They walk out of there going like, ooh, I didn't like that at all. It was like everybody was fake. But yes, you were fake too. Like everybody was yeah. fake. You had your shields up protecting yourself instead of going in and talking about real stuff, talking about your fears. It had to look good. Yeah. And that's not a very powerful way to build a connection with somebody and become part of the network. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And now I see in your, also in your background as well, that, you know, you've actually been at some, uh, an organization like Siemens and you've led a support division with over 350 employees and so forth. And now mm -hmm. today you are heading up an organization called Macklin Connection. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yes. And tell us more about Macklin Connection. What do you do there? We have two main offers. They're all to do with helping create a business culture. And that is to enable the business to create its own culture 
of its choosing, not what it drifted into or what was left behind from somebody else. And so we do that two ways. One, we have a coaching group that coaches individuals inside of a business. And we also have a course. Actually, we have like four courses that we can put the different levels of people inside the organization. So you have the executives, you have the middle group, and then you have the beginner group or the not only the workers, but that's like the professionals, right? And we have courses for each one of those to enables everybody in the group to really put down their shield and to talk to the person and to really build trust. And then you can be creative. And that's what we've been doing. Mm. And that's how our offer works. Mm. Okay, cool. So you're offering different coaching at different levels within the organization. Very good. And the other thing that I was going to ask you was, you and I have talked about you getting into leadership and so forth. The culture piece that you just talked about, there's something I want to sort of just sort of dive a little bit deeper on. The culture side, as you said, I think a lot of organizations don't address or don't take the culture topic or and, and work on it heads on. What they tend to do is they tend to sort of let it happen. And I go, even if you step back and wait or do nothing, the culture is going to happen either way. So do you want the culture that you want or you don't? What, what are your thoughts on that? I agree with you 100% on that. You put a group of people together, any group of people together, within a few days, you're going to start to see a culture emerge. The question for leaders is very simple. Do you want the group to shape it or do you want it to drift? Because mm. the drifting of that culture will take it someplace that probably is not going to get you the best production, the best creativity, that people will not feel as connected to the company. You won't get the, say that, the loyalty and, and you won't have a good life. Because drifting means anybody and everybody can take it anywhere they want to go. And when you have a leader has a vision, and then you enable everybody in there to create their culture together and be aware that you're creating the culture together, it opens up a space that really you can create something that's really amazing and fun. And everybody gets up in the morning and goes, I want to go to work. Like, I'm ready. Let's go. Hmm. And that's the word pops into my head when you were saying all that was just, it's powerful. It's whereby... The momentum happens, people are onto that ship, that train, that bus, they're all going in the same direction as well. And as you said, it's fun. It's a lot of great fun of doing it rather than being, oh, I don't know why I'll be here. And the other thing too is that it sort of tends to, organizations like that tend to see the attrition rate a lot lower than others that don't have that in place. We've actually uh, got some data on that. Like some of the people, the customers we've worked with, right? They were at around 65% retention before we got there. And as the we went through the programs for different levels, and we didn't even cover everybody inside the company, the culture was shifting to where they went from 65 to 95% reduction or 95% retention in a matter of about four months. And this was in a restaurant business in the middle of COVID where you know people were leaving restaurants like crazy. Nobody left. Mm. Because when they got to work, they felt they were respected. They felt the dignity from their bosses. They felt openness, right? And they really loved to talk to each other. And when somebody would say something to them, they would go, is that what you meant? Versus like, oh, you're a jerk, right? And so the openness and communication and the freedom to create was powerful. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like they were trying to seek to understand each other rather than sort of like, yeah, as you said, what a jerk, you know, what are you saying type thing. So that, that's a really good way of doing it. So going from 65 retention to 95 retention is massive. That's huge. In four months, that's, that's really good. Yeah. 
it's enough significant enough that they have credited part of what we do for the survival of their business. Mm-hmm. Now, Ron, with your leadership experience and so forth in business over the years, you would have come across a whole lot of different leaders, whether you've met them or not, books, speaking, or meeting them in person. This person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? My, my favorite is Abraham Lincoln. I've been studying him since I was a kid. And what I really loved about him was the challenges that he was sitting in. Right? There was a space where there was a young country that was basically choosing one or two paths, one of the other two paths, or to separate into, into two countries. And like he started out as a farm boy right, and self-taught law school and went on in, into that. But his ability to listen to his own stories and then be with the other person and really create a new world for them was just amazing. And I really appreciate everything that he went through, but also what he created. And like every great leader, they got their problems and they got their situations and all the stuff that they've done in the past. But what he created, in many ways, saved this nation, our United States. Mm. Yeah. And imagine what it could have been. I mean, it could have gone, as you said, different ways, right? But uh, yeah, really interesting. Dramatically yeah, different. Yeah, dramatically, yeah. Now, Ron, if you were to sit on a park bench with Abraham Lincoln and having a coffee together, would there be one question that Ron would like to ask Abraham Lincoln? Yeah, what advice would you give for people and their fears? Because he lost way more elections than he won. He was a depressed individual for a majority of his life. And I'd like to know, like, how did he keep talking to that fear that's inside of him to keep going? That inner voice, eh? That inner critic, that, yeah, radical. That would be great. I'd, you know what? I don't know about you, but I would love to know the answer to that, um, to hear him what he would. So yeah, would I. Pretty good. Hey, look, the, the show here is called Leadership is Changing. When I say that title or that statement, what, what does that mean to you? It shows that I would say 200 years ago, leadership was telling people what to do. Like, you, you do this and you do this and you do this. And now, like, and it's been kind of drifting in different ways, but up until recently, now with the connectivity of everyone through the internet, cell phones, like you and I are, we're in different days, Mm. right? And we're having this conversation, but the connectivity of everybody out there enables a new possibility. And that is self-directed teams, really self-directed teams to where they become more creative, they become more responsive. People love what they're doing inside there. Now, if you have a self-directed team, that brings forth two things. One, a leader, and being a leader is a visionary. Like you have to be able to look at the future, create where you want to go, and tell stories about the future. Not, no longer telling anybody else what to do. And then everybody has to have leadership skills. Like when the, the mechanics of, you know, we talked about earlier where you go, who wants to be a leader and no hands come up? Right now, everybody has to have a little bit of leadership skills because at different times, everybody's going to be leading the group. A self-directed team means that whoever has the best situation and the idea is leading at that moment. That means everybody's got to do that. So there's a complete change from I'm a follower, they're a leader, I'm a leader, you're followers, to a leader, a true leader of the group is a visionary, and everybody else has to have some leadership skills and some followership skills to be able to make the organization work. Mm. In leadership and in, in, in business and life, actually, we, we talk about the right person for the time. Abraham Lincoln would have been the right person for the time. 
And I think that's also true in what you're just saying there about self-directed teams is going to be the right person for that situation that's happening right there and then. And as you said, everyone has to have those leadership that's skills to be, unable, to be able to lead everyone else or that situation or whatever's going on. Yes. Mm. You know what? You, you and I are living in a world whereby it just seems to be getting faster and faster all the time. If we think about technology and, you know, with AI coming on board and, you know, just a few years ago, we were going on about this fantastic thing out there called the cloud. And now we're out there talking about AI and there's always something else new coming on. We also find that in business and relationships and data, everything in social perspective. So a leader, how do they cope? Well, how do they set themselves up for success in that fast-paced, ever-changing world? The fundamental that I hold for leaders in this fast-paced, changing world, reality is the fear that's inside of each one of us, our own insecurities, that's never going to change. We're, we're going to be that. Even with AI, and you're no longer a graphic designer, you're an AI whisperer for graphic design. All these things that will speed up, things, and there'll be more that comes around that speeds up even faster. But it's the internal fear that we are going to be working on, that leaders are going to be working on, and each person is going to be working on. And that's the part that is going to be really powerful is when we cannot, because we'll never get rid of the fear, but fear doesn't have us. Mm. Fear doesn't control us. And that's what's coming after this, is where people can actually work, not fear-free, but with fear and keep working. Yep, I like that. To work with fear. Nice. Very good. And AI, as an example, being the enabler. I like what you just said there too about the AI whisper. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. I wonder if my graphic designers will like me calling them that. But uh, yeah, it's really good. Very, very good. Now, the thing here is you've alluded to it before as well when you talked about you know people looking for that leader, visionary, so forth, and that leaders are having to work differently. Do you feel that employees' expectations of leaders have changed? I can really notice this, Dennis, and like the difference between somebody who's in their 50s and somebody who's in their 20s. In the 50s, they're really looking for more direction and leadership uh, in that space. And the ones who are in their 20s, they're looking to make a difference with their own inputs, right? And that's the space that is really changing for the, the folks that are out there is they really want to contribute. Where before it was my read on it was, as long as I could make enough money to, to live, live my life and I could take care of retirement and, and get health care and do all this stuff, I'm good. Now it's a matter of well, where can I add to this? Where can I make a difference? Where, can, where will my contribution be noted and be there? And so there's a shift in the world, and it's coming faster, that people want to have a contribution. They have the ability to contribute. What are they tending to do? First, I call it the retire in place or resign in place. Like they just stop working, right, wherever they are, but they're still there, right? Because what they're doing is they're spending their time and energy to go find what's next. And if they can't find it in the companies they work for or the other offers are out there, they're going to start creating their own companies. Right. They're going to start creating their own spaces because there's enough of them out there that are really looking for that. I mean, that's what I did. I see more and more people who are doing this where they go, I want to make the difference in the world that I want to make. And if I can't do it here, I'm going to leave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely vote with their feet and they leave. And you know, it's interesting to see a lot of people starting their own businesses. And then there's that, going back to the fear piece again, there is a fear of a lot of people making that decision from whether it be a small organization or a large organization. So they're in a, 
what I call a nine-to-five job, and for them to then actually take that leap and actually leave their job to go and start a business, there's that fear. When you transitioned into your business and leaving the role that you have from engineering, wanting to lead people and so forth, what was that transition like for you? Yeah, great question. The first was, it was a lot of fun. Like it was like the part that I really love to do in my jobs that I held and the position that I held in other companies, I got to do it full time. And then there's all of the things that you have to learn, right? Everything from marketing to advertising to accounting to paying your taxes to all the other things you have to do to make the business run that I didn't know. I mean, I knew fundamentally I knew them, but not tactically as an entrepreneur. So even though I'd I'd owned businesses that were rental property businesses and other stuff like that, it's different when you're doing this. So the biggest transition for me was how to take on and do everything. Now, it's been five, six and a half years. And in that six and a half years, I've got a whole network of people to help me take care of all that stuff. Mm. But at first, that was the biggest challenge is all those little details and to get done because doing what you love doesn't mean you can run a business in it. You have to figure out and learn that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember several years ago, my wife and I, we went and saw a, a lawyer and he had left as a very senior partner of a large, one of the largest law firms to start his own business. And I asked him that question, what was it like, that transition going from that to this? And he goes, oh, didn't like it at first. And I said, what, what's that? He says, I have to do everything. And he said, we, before I had people doing that for <laughs> yes. me. And I went, oh, yep. And he goes, yeah, I even have to do the photocopying. I have to do all this stuff. But you know what? As his business then started to grow, he then started to bring in people as well. So then he had another dilemma, which was he knew what to do and he knew the way he liked it to be done. But then it was about him letting go now to allow others to come into his own business, his own little baby, and allow others to take over or help out and so forth. And so he had a different dilemma now. So whatever he was doing, there was the dilemma of I'm doing everything and that transition to now having to let go to allow others to do it. It was really fascinating to see the whole transition happening. What shows up is that when you work in a company like that, a big company, it has a culture. And then when you leave and you're just alone by yourself, you are the culture. Yeah. Like whatever you are, you are it, right? And then you start to bring people in and what you find is like you have to create the culture. Not just like how do you get things done, but how do you create the culture? So it's how they do it, what's their mood, how they show up how you take care of the customer, all that stuff has to be like spoken, created in language. Otherwise it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but what I find is that sometimes when I'm working with HR teams and large organizations, so forth, and they have somebody, a leader whereby great performer, doing very well, but there are some areas that they need a little bit more help on. And then sometimes the HR team or their leader, the person's leader go, you know what? We're probably needing to exit this person. It's not working out. But when I sit back and think about that individual, whether they go and start their own business, whether they go to another organization, they're still taking the strengths and the areas that need to be developed. Still, it hasn't changed. And by them moving, it hasn't changed. And I'm thinking, yeah, you're sort of fixing a problem here, but that person's going off to somewhere else. So what can we do to fix that, fix, you know, help that person? But then the other thing is, actually, is the person the problem? Or was it the organization not actually understanding it and trying to help the person? It's really quite interesting kind of discussion around that whole thinking about that kind of scenario. 
for me, it comes down to the individual person mm -hmm. culture, like their philosophy. And if you have a person who like wants to learn and can learn and can go forward, even if they don't have the, like they're missing something, they're missing some bit of knowledge or story about how to get something done or how to deal with people or something in that space. Then if they're open and they can learn, we call that a minus self, like they're, they're insufficient. So they're going to learn. Then like that's somebody you can work with, even though they may, may, may bump against you and fight and all that kind of stuff because it's uncomfortable. But are they curious? Do they want to learn? Have you ever seen them learn? But if they don't want to be there and they don't want to learn, then it's time to let yeah. them go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes leaders, they, they don't make decision to let the person go. And so then the person sitting there, and it's, it's sad. Yeah, it is sad because that is a lack of, I want to say leadership, but also it's about decision making and making things happen. And so next minute it's a year, two years down the track, the person's bored, they're not providing any kind of value. They're just doing day in, day out. The next minute they may become the problem child, if I can put it that way, in the sense that there's issues. And it could have been easily resolved by having a growing up discussion and, and moving forward for the good of everyone. Dennis, I took over an organization that was, I was the fifth manager. There were five managers before me in 10 years. So every two years they put somebody new in. And so when I got in the, the organization, I was like number six at the 10 year mark of the creation of the organization. And it was failing. I mean, it was losing money, but it was an essential part of the business. And they asked me to come in to put it, help the business grow. One part of my stand is anybody who doesn't want to be there, but they're too scared to quit, we'll let them go. Like we'll fire them and we'll do it for the main purpose of they need to go because they want to mm. go. They're just scared. And we have those conversations. We go through the performance plans. We do all those kinds of things in that space, right? Now, we look at my group as a whole, and somebody in HR and corporate noticed that we had fired more people than the rest of the company combined. So they came in and investigated us, said like, oh my God, what are they doing wrong here? They're firing everybody, right? They came in, they went through everyone. I didn't know this till later. They did it at night while I wasn't there. They went through and investigated every line, every person that was fired, and they got to the end and they went, no, every one of those should have been fired. And that same year, we won an award. It was just in Houston, Texas. Best place to work in Houston, Texas. Not because, like, the people we fired, but the people we got rid of, they didn't want to be here anyway. And now everybody else felt free to be there because they, they go, everybody wants to be here. Everybody wants to contribute. Everyone wants to engage, right? Everybody loves what they're doing. And we've actually had people from that group who called us up later and say, thank you for letting me go. I had all kinds of other problems mm -hmm. and I was hiding behind them, right? So when we let somebody stay, we're actually stealing their life someplace they might mm -hmm. love. Ron, I like the way that you just shared that too, that we are stealing it because we are. I think that, and it's really nice that they came back and said that, that they needed to move on and they realized it themselves as well. And so if you're in an HR role today and you're listening to this actual episode, maybe sometimes you need to understand the bigger picture of actually what's going on. Because I know a lot of HR teams will go in and investigate what's going on. Must be, you know, Ron, the leader there, must be something wrong. You know, it must be him. But maybe not. Maybe he's taking the Rons in the world afraid in what they're doing, but they're doing it anyhow. They're getting up and onto that saddle and going for it. And I think, Ron, a lot of it is leaders are afraid we go back to that sort of theme that we've been talking about of actually having those conversations. A lot of people call them difficult conversations. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be difficult. I know it might feel like that or we may be afraid, but you know what? 
Sometimes we have to have the conversation for the better of everybody. Thanks, Dennis. I hold there. They can be uncomfortable, mm. but I'm not going to design my life around comfort. I'm going to design it around care and passion and creativity. And yeah, my question for them when they got done, they handed us all this report over to us and everything else. And I go, okay, so doesn't this kind of tell you that maybe all the other groups should be firing more people too? But are you going to go investigate them? And they go, they go like, no, we don't do that. No. 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 But that's actually a very good question. That should be, well, we should be looking at this at, across all areas of an organization. And it's not just a one-off thing every year, tick in the box. It should be like a performance review. It should be a discussion that's happening all the time. All the time. Yep. Yep. All the time. And in any space you come up, you go, like, there's a problem going on. I go, do they want to be here? I mean, do you think they really want to be here? Or do you think they want to leave and they're afraid to do it? Like, it's got to be a conversation that's ongoing so that people cannot have to, like, basically waste their life in a job that they hate. Very good. Now, Ron, you sort of alluded to it before, but I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out here and think about the future. Where do you see leadership being in five years? It's going to become a responsibility where most people have to have an understanding of leadership. It's going to be a part of a skill, that you, like a trait or a skill. You go, oh, it's my turn to lead, and you know what that means. Oh, oh it's my turn to follow, and you know what that means. Yeah, and, and knowing that then gives you also the confidence of doing it because you know what to do. Will it be perfect? No. Will you know everything? No. But the thing is you have the ability and the skill set to be able to lead and also you have confidence in yourself, but then and even though there may be people still afraid of doing it, but then people will have confidence in you as well leading. So it's, it's a good way of being. When, when you have the skill to lead and the skill to follow, you can begin to notice other people's skill to lead, right? And then you're willing to follow them. Yep. Like it feeds on itself. And that's what I see is happening is, and in the next five years is I mean, more and more people build their skills of leading and following and then the, the skill to notice when they should do each one. Yeah, very good. Hey, Ron, thanks for joining me today. Now, if, if people are wanting to get a hold of you, where should they go? You can always go to macklinconnection.com, and you can just fill a little form in there, and I'll get back with you. Or you can reach out to me on my LinkedIn profile. I'm at Ron Macklin on LinkedIn. And you can always send me an email at ron at macklinconnection.com. Excellent. Well, Ron, it's been a real pleasure talking with you today. So thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Thank you, Dennis. I appreciate everything that you're doing and the change that you're helping us all create in the world of leadership. Thank you. There you go, listeners. Well, step into your fear and look out for the book that uh, Ron has, Everyone is Afraid. The other thing, too, as I was going to say, is about self-directed teams. Great things that Ron just shared, us, shared with us about that. But also, let's think about it going forward. Do you need to lead? Yes. And what do you need to do to prepare yourself to help yourself lead or follow the people within the organization? Hey, thanks for joining us on this episode today. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.